Turn in your Bible now to the book of Ecclesiastes where we continue our study of this fascinating book. At least I think it's quite fascinating. It's, it's a tough book to read and to understand. A lot of uh, books have been written about the book of Ecclesiastes and many of them say somewhat different things about it because it is a book you've got to wrestle through. And so we're, we're wrestling through it this summer. We're today in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And, and if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles underneath our chairs. Just pull one out and turn to page 661. Page 661. You'll find the passage that we're going to talk about today. I've called this series, The Preacher Goes to the Movies. The Preacher is not me in that title. The Preacher is the author of most of the book of Ecclesiastes. In, in Hebrew, his name is Koheleth. And we translate that as the preacher or the teacher or something like that. Basically, what you need to know about the preacher is that he was a doubting wise man. He was recognized as a sage by the people of Israel, but he was a doubting sage. And Ecclesiastes is his journal. His journal of his failed attempt to find meaning in life apart from a relationship with God. The problem with the preacher was that he was looking for meaning and contentment in all the wrong places. That's why it's a very relevant book to us today. Let me read chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, verses 10 through 17. Hear God's word. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a, of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner, or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing for his labor that he can carry in his hand. This, too, is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain since he toils for the wind? All his days he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is God's Word. Each week during the summer series, we're looking at a clip or two from a movie. And so I'm going to begin today with a movie clip. The movie is one that I believe you've probably never seen. Maybe a few of you have. It was actually a made-for-TV movie a couple of years ago. It's called A Perfect Day. It stars Rob Lowe. Rob plays the part of a man named Rob. It's a big surprise. And he's married to Allison, and together, Rob and Allison in this movie have a little girl named Carson. Here's the plot, okay? Rob gets fired from his job at a radio station, and he digs ditches to try to make a living for a while. But Rob has always wanted to be a writer. In fact, he's even made a stab at writing a book in the past, according to this movie. And at the encouragement of his wife, Allison, Rob takes pen to paper and starts to write his book. 
he ends up writing a book called A Perfect Day. That's why the name of the movie. He gets it published. And believe it or not, in this movie, the book hits pay dirt. It becomes a number one best-selling novel. Rob becomes a millionaire. So in this movie, then, the plot thickens as Rob tastes the sweet savor of success. And success begins to ruin his marriage. It starts to separate him from his daughter, Carson. It begins to basically consume Rob's life. So I'm going to show you this brief scene in which Rob is about to announce to his wife, Allison, that he went out and bought her a new house. So listen to this dialogue. I met John Grisham. He was great. You know, he's a lot bigger well, than Well, that makes it all worth it. Listen, I'm very sorry about everything, but I'm going to make it up to you. I have a big surprise. I love it, Dad. There's even a swimming pool. What do you think? No more burnout fuses, rusted pipes. It's beautiful. I know you always wanted a walk-in closet. How about three of them? Have to buy a lot more clothes. I know you're upset with me, but I want to do this for us. Can we get a bow? Carson, that's enough. Everything seems so different now. I don't know what's happening to us. You want to go back to the way things were? Yeah, in a heartbeat. Allison, I had no work. I was digging ditches. I don't know why you'd want to idealize that. Dad, I want my own television and a whore. Okay, come on. Are you listening to her? When is this going to stop? Your book is number one. What more do we want? As much as we can get. How about a vacation? How about a trip to Italy? Carson can go to any school she wants. I don't know why you're not excited. Any other wife would be. You have someone in mind? (sighs) (laughs) Did you hear that? What more do you want? She asked. And he replied, as much as we can get. That's the voice of a restless heart. And you know, this morning I want to tell you that I can really relate to this Rob Lowe character. Some of you know a little bit about my story. My father was a pretty successful businessman in a small town of South Carolina. But for the most part, when I was growing up, my dad was critical, somewhat demeaning, preoccupied. My mom was a talented but very driven woman. She was unhappy. She was controlling. She was not very affectionate. And so what do you get when you put a hard-driving critical man with a cold, aloof, controlling woman and put them down in a small town in the Bible Belt? You get me. (laughs) You get me. Our home was very performance-driven. It seemed like the way for me to get love in my childhood years was to excel. And so I worked hard at that. Mediocrity was not an option for me. I remember a, a number of times when my dad would call me names. The name jerk and idiot was often thrown around. And I remember that he would often laugh at me. Now, he would say, I'm laughing not at you, but with you. But 
I wasn't laughing. And these scenes are burned into my memory. I remember the time when we were sitting at a restaurant table and I mispronounced the name of an item on the menu. My dad roared with laughter. I remember the time when, as a high school student, I gave an address to a Rotary Club luncheon in which he was there. And I messed up, I screwed up in part of my speech, and I looked out, and my dad was laughing. Somewhere along the way in my life, I decided I would not make anybody laugh at me. I decided sometime that I will get it right. I will not screw up. I will not fail. I will succeed. And so, before I met Jesus Christ, guess what? Success was my Savior. This is why I can relate to this film. It's what I trusted in to feel worthwhile. I did well in high school and college, I won awards, I played athletics. I was a musician. I performed in coffee houses. And I excelled. But I'm here to tell you this morning that I was so empty. I could never be excellent enough. You know, once you get into that race, you can never be quite good enough. And I was never good enough. I felt that I could always have done better. This is what Jesus saved me from. Earlier today, we sang a song in which we sang a line, Jesus, you're all my heart is living for. Well, you know what? I have to sing that line by faith. Because so often what I still feel in my heart, even though Jesus has saved me from the Savior of success, I still fear failure. I still fear failure. I feel that I'm one step away every moment of every day from falling down on my knees and worshiping the God of success. Sometimes I hear a little devilish voice inside me, even sometimes while I'm preaching. And you know what I hear? How much more success do you want? And I feel my flesh reply, as much as I can get. I wanted to share my story with you and be real with you this morning in order to ask you to look at your story and be honest with yourself. How much more do you want? What is it that you are looking to, to prop up your brokenness? What is it that you rely on to get you through the day, to feel good about yourself, to feel purposeful, worthwhile, validated, successful. The verses that I read this morning from Ecclesiastes 5 were written by a man who was desperately searching for satisfaction in life. And one of the things that this man tried was money. And he made a lot of it too. The author of this book was quite successful. But did you notice what he found out? Look at verse 10 with me again. In verse 10, he wrote, Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. 
See, just like me. Just like me. I was never successful enough. This man writes, he never had money enough. And you know what, guys? It doesn't matter what the addiction is. You can take out the word money in verse 10 and replace it with just about anything, such as whoever loves attention never has attention enough. Whoever loves beauty never has beauty enough. Whoever loves order never loves order enough. Whoever loves reputation never has reputation enough. Whoever loves knowledge, whoever loves sex, whoever loves popularity, whoever loves food never has food enough. Whoever loves fitness never has fitness enough. Whoever loves control never gets enough control. You put your word in there. Same effect. The key word in those verses, though, is the word loves. The word loves. See, money is not bad. Neither is success or beauty or order or sex or food or popularity. No, those things are not wrong in and of themselves, but when you love them. And the word love means when you look to those things to satisfy that deepest longing in your soul. When you elevate it to the level of God in your life and you say, that's what I need to be happy. That's what I need to finally make it in life. That's what I need for people to notice me and like me and validate me. That's what I'm going to look to on a practical level every day the rest of my life to make it through. See, when you love those things, in a sense they become your idol. You become an idol worshiper. It becomes a substitute for God and in many different ways it becomes your savior. It becomes your savior. You're bowing down and worshiping a false god and you're going to be disappointed if you do it. See, it's like this. Imagine that your heart is like a jigsaw puzzle. And when I say heart, I'm not talking about this literal physical beating organ in your body, the heart. I'm using the word heart in the biblical sense as the seat of your emotions, your intellect, your will. Your heart, according to the Bible, is you. Everything about you is stored away in the heart. The values, the priorities of life that you have, the things that you're hungering for, that's your heart. Imagine then that your heart is like a a jigsaw puzzle. You can see the outlines of a picture when you look at your heart, but a piece of the puzzle is missing. And it's a critical piece too. If you don't have that piece, the picture doesn't make sense. It's incomplete and, and even ugly. And so you've got to find that missing piece of the puzzle and push it into that hole for your heart to be healthy, for life to work. That's what you think. That's what I think. You know what? All your life, you are looking for that missing puzzle piece. All your life, you're looking for that missing puzzle piece, the one that when you get it and when you insert it into that picture, the picture's beautiful. The picture makes sense. Your life is a good life. You're happy. You're fulfilled. You're always looking for that missing piece. So when you find something in life that seems to fit the whole, then you dedicate yourself to it, right? It becomes your hobby, perhaps, your passion, your specialty. You get pretty good at it. You get praise for it. It feels good to you. Or or maybe you even do it in secret. Nobody knows about it but you. But it meets a need. 
It deadens the pain. It covers up your wound and hides that gaping hole in your heart, at least for a while. But pretty soon, as time goes by, you find out that it takes more and more and more of that thing, whatever it is, to fill up that empty space. Maybe you get a little better at it. You give it a little bit more of your time and energy and money and attention, hoping the pain will subside. But it doesn't. It's because the piece doesn't quite fit. Whenever you put it in, there's still a little bit of leftover space. It doesn't quite work. And so you try a little bit harder. You try to force it into the hole. You start serving it instead of it serving you. It becomes your master and you its slave. For me, it was success. What is it for you? What is that missing puzzle piece for you? Well, in order to find contentment, which is really what our hearts hunger for, you need to know two things. Let me tell you what they are. You need to know two things. First, the emptiness in your heart will never be completely filled by people or pursuits or possessions or anything else you seek after but God. The hole in your heart, the emptiness you feel, will never be completely filled by these things of the world. The preacher thought money would do it. But what did he find out in this passage? He says money only caused him more problems. Did you notice that? For example, look at verse 11. He says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. In other words, the preacher says that along with the money that he made came what? Bills and creditors and hangers-on and all kinds of other things. And then verse 12, he says the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. He's saying that the more money he made, the more anxious he became. No, no, the emptiness that you feel is pointing you to Jesus. The emptiness you feel today the emptiness you felt yesterday, the emptiness you're going to feel when you get to work tomorrow morning, it's pointing you to Jesus. He is the missing puzzle piece in your life. He is the one you need because only Jesus fits the hole in your heart. Last Sunday we sang one of my favorite songs, Jesus, I'm resting, resting. And some of you might remember the words, but let me tell you what we said last week. We said, Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what Thou art. I am finding out the greatness of Thy loving heart. Simply trusting Thee, Lord Jesus, I behold Thee as Thou art, and Thy love, so pure, so changeless, satisfies my heart. Satisfies its deepest longings, meets, supplies its every need, Compasseth me around with blessings. Thine is love indeed. You know what I discovered a few years ago? Bluebell ice cream. Some of you know about Bluebell ice cream. A friend of ours from Houston, Texas introduced us to it. I'm glad it's now here in Orlando, Florida. Pecan pralines and cream. Mmm. Best ice cream in the world. After I've had Bluebell ice cream, would you believe that I might try Winn-Dixie generic brand vanilla? That'd be pretty lousy, wouldn't it? That's what the preacher's finding out. That if you don't have Jesus, if you don't have Bluebell, if you don't have the real thing, 
Everything else in life is like Winn-Dixie brand vanilla. It really is. So let me get even more practical as we end. How can you be content when the world and the flesh and the devil conspire to make you want more and more and more of whatever it is you think will bring you satisfaction? Let me offer you and leave with you four things. What can you do? First of all, don't ignore your restlessness. Don't ignore your restless feelings. No, don't quell your desires. Now, I'm not saying just go indulge them either. Here's what I'm saying. Listen to them. Listen to the desires of your heart. They are telling you that you want more than money and success and privilege and popularity and fitness. When you feel those longings, listen to them. When you sense those desires, pay attention to them. They're talking to you. You're longing for something that nothing in this world can satisfy. Example. Let's say you're with a group of people and you feel those old feelings of, I wish I were more popular. I wish I were accepted. When you start to feel those feelings like, gee, I'm just on the periphery of this crowd. I'm not very popular. When you begin to feel that way, go home later and start asking yourself, why did I feel that way? And listen to this answer. You felt that way because you're longing for Jesus. You're longing for somebody real, namely God, who can fit the hole in your heart. Let's say, take another example. Let's say that your thing is your job, that you're longing to be a real good worker, get your promotion, make it in an office, uh, really get up there high in the hierarchy. And that would be the pinnacle to you of fulfillment. When you begin to feel that way, you're sitting at your desk and you start feeling like, I'm not good enough here. I'm failing. I'm not getting attention. Listen to those feelings. What are they telling you? They're telling you that you're longing for Jesus. You're not longing for a better job. Job will never fit the hole in your heart. Go back home later today and remember and remind yourself, I was longing for Jesus today. So first, don't ignore your restlessness, but listen to it. Second, go to Jesus and talk to him. If you're a restless person, if you're aching for something to find uh, in your heart satisfaction, then go to Jesus and tell Him all about your emptiness. Talk to Him about all of your wounds. Tell Him your history. Tell Him your story, like I told you mine earlier today. Tell Him all about it. I want you to know Jesus loves you like nobody else. Jesus loves you like no other He really wants to show you his loving heart. He really does. But you need to go talk to him. Thirdly, read the Bible and focus on the promises of God. For example, I just thought of one the other day that I read from time to time. It's Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Listen to this. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob... He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. You know, when I read those words, something happens in here. I want to know this God better. 
I want to repent of my idols and just have him here in his proper place. So read the Bible and focus on the promises of God. And then finally this morning, come to the table. This morning you have a wonderful opportunity to come to the one who alone fits the gaping wide hole in your heart. Come to the table with us. Meet with Jesus. When you're holding the elements in your hand this morning and it's quiet, talk to God. Tell Him about your emptiness. Ask Him to come in and feel, fill the empty space. Ask Him to heal the wound. There's nothing Jesus loves to do more. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You so much that You satisfy the empty heart. Thank you that you are to us what we will never find things to be. You are fulfillment. You are joy. You are completion. You are success. Lord, may we remember from the preacher that nothing in this world can satisfy. Thank you that you can and you do. And we love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.